For today's guest, an unlikely source inspired him to enter data science. Aristotle. One of Aristotle's seminal works is Categories. This was one of the first attempts in human history to capture and organize all knowledge. The essence of Aristotle's argument was that information is converted into knowledge by categorizing it, and further defined what these categories ought to be, things like substance, quantity, and quality, amongst others. So apparently, Aristotle was our first ever head of data governance. But I digress. So anyways, reading this work, my guest began to see the power of structured knowledge, and more importantly, the act of structuring knowledge. Since then, he, and really all of us, have continued Aristotle's project. We are still refining how we organize our data. The better we get at categorizing data, the better we can leverage it for success. The same idea is at the center of FAIR, which is a set of data management principles established in 2016 in an article in the journal Scientific Data. When a data set is FAIR, it is findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. When a data set is fair, it becomes something more than data. It becomes a competitive asset. Today's guest, Francesco Marzoni, was the first person to introduce me to the FAIR framework. So today, Francesco and I discuss the FAIR framework and how you can set the stage for it within your own organization. Francesco is currently the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at Inca Group, a holding company for IKEA. And prior to this position, Francesco worked for other leading global brands such as Bayer, Procter & Gamble, and Nestle. Welcome to Data Radicals, a show about the people who use data to see things that nobody else can. This episode features an interview with Francesco Marzoni, Chief Data and Analytics Officer of Inca Group. In this episode, he and Satyan discuss how to implement fair principles at your organization, the dangers of data silos, and the importance of effective data governance. This podcast is brought to you by Alation. Our platform makes data easy to find, understand, use, and govern, so analysts are confident they're using the best data to build reports the C-suite can trust. The best part? Data governance is woven into the interface, so it becomes part of the way you work with data. Learn more about Alation at alation.com. Francesco and I began our conversation by breaking down the four components of FAIR. We started with findability. Fundability is about making sure that you don't have to pick up the phone and have an informal network of people within your organization if you want to get hold of a specific data set, but rather you have a structured way to do that, right? And as you will teach me, and you uh, definitely master more than me, metadata plays a big, big, big role in that space. Uh, accessibility is about setting rules to, for data to be accessed and also a default ways to access data without having to figure out every time how I do get access to this data set once I know that I need it. So having predefined way to access data, but also a policy that somehow starts from data open to everyone in the organization, unless there is a reason, legal, ethical, or whatever good reason, to restrict access to data. The more data gets shared whenever it's possible, the better. Interoperable is about making sure that different domains or different parts of the organization use a common dictionary when it comes to data so that then uh, data can be can travel right across different corners of the organization. You can integrate them and you can unlock more and more knowledge out of new data sets that you integrate. 
And reusability, reusable, is probably the one that is closest to my heart because it speaks to the fact that organizations cannot afford to think about data every time that they need it for a specific purpose. We do not know the value that we can get out of a data set. We can, go, we can know maybe a specific use case today about a given data set, maybe two, three use cases. But the goal is really to make sure that we manage data in a way that they then become reusable over time with very little lead time, because we don't know yet how and in which context we will need to use certain data. And I think that's the biggest shift probably that the industry needs to still embrace, right? We come from several years in the data space where companies and teams have built point-to-point solutions. I need to build an app. I need to build an application. I need this data for that application. So I go and reinvent from scratch every time the pipelines, the data pipelines that I need for that application. Now we need to shift and build data assets or... uh, or actual data products that then get reusable over time as we need it. And I think that's probably been also one of the big lessons that I got during the pandemic, the importance of having reusability in the data assets that you can tap into and how much it can hurt you if you don't have reusable data assets at hand in times of crisis. Yeah, which is such an interesting deconstruction of this problem of, in this case, building open science, but you know, on some level, that's another way of saying building data culture, which is obviously what this podcast is all about. And it gives people a framework to think about, okay, well, if I'm going to build this data culture and I want to enable people to use data, these are the four things, these are the four factors that I have to focus on. How does one take that framework and sort of follow this verification process? So, So I've got this, you know, findable, accessible, interoperable, reusable, now, how do I make that more practical? What do, I, what do I need to do as a chief data officer if I wanted to start down this journey? The first thing I would, uh, I would start from is identifying what are the core data assets that you want to start your journey from. And those data assets are typically the ones that are about the codification of the knowledge of those entities that you need to master to run your business. So if you are... Uh, for example, just a random example, an home furnishing uh, manufacturer, you may want most likely to have as one of your core data assets all the data that speak about your furniture range. And once you have identified those core data assets, it's critical that you define end-to-end accountability around those assets. I think probably the first starting point that is the, the most undervalued in what I've seen in the past year is the importance of creating accountability around data. Most companies have always a clear accountability around uh, systems. Uh, you know, n- you, name, you make the name of an application rather than of a system of records. Very rarely in a company, you will not have an owner or an accountable person or team for that. Companies are very good at, having, uh, uh, at creating accountability for business outcomes, of course, so for P&Ls, et cetera. Accountability around data is something less uh, natural, I have to say. And for me, that's always the starting point. So understanding what are the core data entities that we need to run the business and create accountability around that. Because then once you create accountability and you know what are the teams accountable for the different data elements that you have in your your set of priorities, then that's where you can start discussing about, okay, this accountable team then has also as part of the measures, the fair frameworks elements. How do you bring fair to life, 
it is definitely, as we said, a metadata management play. So if you want fair data, you need to make sure that you have and you create an activity system in the company around metadata. And the truth is, there are still many companies that did run for several years without even, uh, let's say, uh, focusing or uh, realizing the importance of having metadata as one of the type of data that you need to manage to get value out of all of them. Some of the FAIR terminology may sound unusual, but really, FAIR is a set of best practices, and its two final steps will sound very familiar to data radicals. So governance is a key element because despite we all believe on the fact that the more we decentralize data accountability, the easier it is to bring data to life in a relevant way, especially in a big organization, still in order to ensure interoperability of the different data that travel across the organization, a certain level of governance is critical. And then figuring out how you shift and uh, help the organization to to go from talking data to talking specific data. Talking about data in general uh, is probably, for me, a good sign of uh, not a high level of data culture within an organization. A good proxy of saying where the data culture stands in an organization is also about how people talk about data. Do people talk about data in general or do they talk about customer data uh, rather than uh, my product data, rather than my consumer data, rather than my uh, different types of data? So again, metadata rather than master data. I think that's a very important thing because if we don't make that disclaimer about what data we're talking about, it's very difficult to land the first step towards the fair data journey. That specificity matters a ton. It's funny because as you describe this idea of authority around data, reminds me of one of the former podcasts where we had a Paola Sabine, who's a data governance expert, talk about data governance. I believe she described it as the assignment of authority and accountability around data. So those, what you're describing feels a lot like data governance. Is FAIR just another form of data governance or a replacement for data governance or complementary to it? Or how do you think about that? First of all, I think, of course, the concept of authority is important, especially in a big organization, because otherwise, you know, without that, we might have chaos. Nevertheless, I have to say my entry point is always around duties rather than rights when it comes to accountability around data, right? So ultimately, authority needs to be linked to who has the duty to do what with which data, and a bit less about who has the rights to do what with which data. Because at the end of the day, the rights on data should be more defined by a policy rather than by specific individuals. But then to your point regarding the link between fair data and the concept of a data governance, I think the interlink is, uh, is, uh, is total. I would probably think about FAIR, though, as uh, one, a framework to measure what you want to govern. So how you set goals and how you say, okay, I achieved a goal on this specific data set with my governance, so now it is findable, so now it is accessible, now it is interoperable. And it's also about you need governance uh, to ultimately then establish all those base practices that are needed to deliver FAIR data. So without data governance, most likely you will not have master data management, you will not have metadata management, and without those, you cannot bring the, simply the fair concept to life in a real way. When I heard the original concept of fair, 
it was insightful for me because I remember back to a conversation I had with this guy, Andrew White, who's a Gartner analyst. I don't know if you know him, but very early in our journey, he got on the phone and we were just learning about what data governance was and we we're thinking about the space. And he said, Something you just have to remember that there are really only eight data governance policy types. And I've written about this and you should just go read my article. And so, of course, I go and read the article. And all of these policies, as it turns out, are about very negative things. Like there's a security policy type and an access policy type and a privacy policy type and a data quality policy type and a retention policy type. And it strikes me that FAIR has the ability to complement that framework by adding maybe four other or five other policy types, basically around what does it mean for something to be findable? What does it mean for something to be accessible? How do we measure that? And how do we say, oh, if it is findable, then it has the following three elements of metadata, and that could be a policy through which then a data steward could you know, apply authority and review. And so it does strike me as a way of extending data governance to be something that's actually quite offensive and differentiating and empowering as opposed to simply being this thing that's like, all about restricting people's access to data and making sure that risk is at the forefront of everyone's imagination. I love what you say, and I would add, uh, indeed, the, the four letters of FAIR allow you also easily build uh, stories around how each of those characteristics of data, from findability to re reusability, can have a one-to-one -one link with how you can unlock a specific uh, value for your, for your organization if that condition is verified. And how much instead the organization might suffer if that condition is not verified. During the early days of the pandemic, businesses struggled to manage the supply chains that were in chaos. At the time, Francesco was at Nestle confronting that chaos up close. He credits the FAIR framework for the company's ability to react swiftly during the crisis. At the time in which, you know, we had to figure out a number of things that we had not thought about before. And in the moment in which we had to start to figure out how do we collect more and new data points now to answer this completely unforeseen situation, we started to look for partnership, for uh, external partnership to understand how we could get hold of new data points regarding, for example, mobility data around uh, physical stores or how the different govern governance policy government's policies were reflecting and were reflected in uh, consumer behaviors. So ultimately, we started to need a number of data sets that we did not have before to understand what we had to do to keep food on the shelf back then. And uh, there was a clear predictor of how a third-party partner could help us in the journey fast enough based on our needs. And it turned out that partners that were, let's say, more advanced in their data journey, I'm thinking about a Google, I'm thinking about startups in charge of last mile delivery in the food tech ecosystem. With those companies, once we identified what were data that would have been valuable to exchange whatever was allowed, of course, and in a fully anonymized way, of course, in order to you know, address a real challenge for the communities that, where we were operating for, with those companies, we went from idea to execution within hours. So, hey, we could leverage your data to do something good. Tomorrow, we can start doing it because there was already a framework for those companies to share data because data were accessible, data were findable in their organizations. 
there were many other opportunities that we had to leave on the table simply because, yes, there were a good intention and a good, uh, good idea about how two companies could come together, share data to, you know, understand better what was going on. But then the partnership did not materialize because there was still a fully manual activity system around data. Fairness was not in place. So it was really pointless to invest because uh, between idea and execution, we would have needed uh, projects of months to either integrate data or to retrieve data. Yeah, because the reactivity of the organization forced the ability, was, was born out of your ability to have fair data in place and your partner's ability to have fair data in place. And for those that didn't, the ability to sort of build and prospect around these new business models just to ensure freshness of food on the shelf essentially went away. This sort of kind of dovetails into another topic that you and I've talked a little bit about, which is that often when you free data or open the data up, you're able to sort of discover new opportunities. You talk about the relationship between data silos and network effects, and you know, one can intuit why those things might be related. But tell us more and tell us about sort of why you see these relationships existing and, and how you see value being created. The way most companies are organized and take decisions and plan their, uh, their budget, their business, their activities is around the concept of function. So there is a little bit, I would say, of a natural inclination for a company to operate within the silos created by functions, despite then the world doesn't work based on functions. The world bo- works based on processes, processes that are end-to-end and that operate across functional areas. So the, the importance of removing data silos is ultimately about reflecting how the world actually operates, how the different actors of a given organization care about outcome and not about the task that each and every individual is in charge of. So that's why I really believe in data being the, the ultimately the glue of an organization because the more you become mature in your data journey, the more it means that you have taken a process lens, an outcome-based lens on your way to drive the business, I think it's super powerful to then start from big, small examples where you say, okay, if we have three different functions in the company, a finance function, a planning function, and a commercial function, and they all look at data in a very siloed way, we will end up having three different ways to make forecasts around how much profit we will make, how much product we will sell to a given customer, or how much, how many products we need to foresee that we will uh, uh, sell so that then we produce them accordingly. And this is a very typical example where you realize that if you take a functional side of approach to data, data uh, will give you an output, but that will be very controversial and very, I would say, counterproductive for your organization. Because if you, will, if you operate with free forecasts in your company, chances are that your business operations will get stuck at a certain point. So this is one of many examples where the more we take instead a process-based lens on data, and which means in this specific example that I make around forecasting, we talk about what is my data sets that inform my overall 360-degree forecast, where I do have consistency of forecasts across the three different functional areas. That's where you see the power of having data as a, as a strategic asset per se, 
and how much that strategic asset would lose value if instead you stick to your uh, traditional functional silos in the company. There, there's an interesting interplay here. Uh, we had a, another guest, General Stanley McChrystal, who wrote a book around the team of teams, and he also talked about how organizations are optimized for efficiency and functional you know, competency and expertise. And that means that, you know, while on one hand you have a lot of efficiency, on the other, you don't have a lot of resilience and you don't create opportunity for knowledge sharing for new processes. And so, you know, you are in good company, as it were, in making this observation. But how does that tie into sort of these network effects? So I can understand this idea that sort of says, hey, if you break down the silos, you make the data more fair, as it were, you're unlocking process efficiency, you're unlocking process intelligence, as it were. Where do these sort of network effects come in and how does that result? I think the core stands on the, on, on, on the point of uh, uh, nailing down the power of reusability of data. So the opposite of fair is every time we need data, we figure out where they are, how to retrieve them, how to play with them for our specific single purpose mission, which might be you know, building a specific application or running a specific analysis. So the network effect comes into play when we have a specific application of data that is in charge of building the first brick of my data asset. Then we have a second use case scenario that comes into play, can reuse the first brick that I've built, but then we contribute to my company data assets by building a second brick and then make it further available for further use to the point in which, you know, if we do enforce fair data as part of how we drive the work on, a, on our data activity system, and if we enforce in- incentives for reusability, then the organization comes to a point in which it's going to be minimal, the lead time between when I need data and when I can activate them. And this lead time becomes as smaller as possible over time if we do have a critical mass of actors that go and build those bricks of data assets in a reusable fashion. So I think really the, uh, for me, the the network effect comes into play when we think about the link between how many people in the company are already part of an activity system that builds data reusable data asset for a given purpose and make that data asset available for future use and how much time each and every player then over time will need to, you know, to get access to data and, uh, and build value with it. So I think it's really about this correlation between volume of practitioners and lead time reduction. And that's why, by the way, it's critical that still we do have a data governance as foundation layer. Because without that data governance, the first step of this network effect is never triggered. While once we trigger it, then over time, it will self-sustain itself because everyone in the organization will see the benefit. So conceptually, then, you start by making data more fair. This programmatically unlocks these silos. The silos, or the unlocked silos on some level, give data sort of this ubiquitous availability so that people can either improve or implement new processes. Those can be major significant process improvements or 
in themselves new big processes, which can then transform the business, which makes sense. I mean, it's funny because you talk about network effects. It seems a lot like a virus. I mean, we've all kind of taken a bachelor's course in epidemiology over the last two years. And on some level, that seems like something that we've tried to fight. But on the other hand, what it seems like you're saying is, look, we want to make data as transmissible as possible. And maybe some of the silos that we unlock may have, you know, transmissibility rate of less than one, but many could have multiplicative transmissibility rates or something like that. Am I, am I bastardizing your network effect pre- premise or am I? Well, I, I guess we take the risk of uh, trying to build a positive story out of the virus story, but no, but I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, smiling about that because, no, I, I really think about, about that as uh, the moment in which you need to get access to, uh, to, to data, to a specific set of data to do something that produces value. I think it's ultimately about nailing down your options to two things. Either um, those data are already available somewhere because someone made them fair and reusable, so you just go use that and use them. Or your other option is you build it for the first time your own within uh, the organization. You make them fair and you make them available for the first time so that you achieve your goal of using them, but then you have this duty of giving back to the system. And you give back to the system by making, by exposing those data in a way that then the rest of the, you know, of your organization and of the community can, uh, can use them. So I guess, uh, if we take away from the virus effect, the fact that uh, there is also, you know, like uh, a good way to give back, uh, I think that's a perfect uh, spot on uh, analogy. Yeah. You're trying to infect people with data culture virus. <laughs> All right. So now, n- now it's getting tricky though, because talking about data culture and spreading data culture like a virus that might, might, might become more difficult to position it in a very positive, uh, positive way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My marketing needs some work. So you, you bring up data culture. You're obviously a practice CDO who's sort of thought about and implemented these topics. One of the things that historically I've talked to when listened and heard from lots of data governance professionals is there's an old trope that sort of says data governance is about people, process, and technology, and it's in that order. And one of the things that I've heard you say is actually quite in contrast to this, and I'm not sure if this is actually oppositional or if it's just you're talking about two different things, but you said data as a product and technology must happen first in the context of data culture. Tell us, like, how do you start? Do you, in your work, start with sort of the data and the technology, or do you start with the people? Or how do you, how do you think about developing these programs and what, what comes first? Well, I, I would definitely say it is the people first. I would, not, I would never start from a technology play. Data is a people first play for, uh, for two reasons. One, because it's about, uh, you know, data is not a technical matter. Data is a business matter. If I think about now organizations that are run businesses, right? So that's the first. The second one is uh, succeeding in your data journey requires you to make data anybody's, everybody's business. So when I think about the steps that we take with, uh, with our organization around, uh, you know, building a data culture, around uh, developing data literacy, around uh, explaining to people what's in it for them if we, if we continue to invest in our data journey. Uh, it really starts from saying, 
uh, we need to aim for data to become one of the tools at disposal of everyone in the company. I think the biggest mistake that we can do as um, as data professionals is to think that you can drive, let's say, data-driven uh, transformation of a business by injecting specific and a limited group of experts, of data experts and data practitioners, and saying, now, this limited group of people will go and turn this company into a data-driven company that can make, can drive value uh, with data. I think the starting point needs to be the other way around. You need to first make sure that you reach out to all the employees or all the members of your organization, explaining what's in it for them, which means then for me, a data culture efforts start from uh, including with a future uh, lens, with a lens on the future, including on uh, starts also from identifying what are the skills that now we want to start injecting in each and every job description across the organization. So what does it mean to be today a marketing manager and tomorrow data literate marketing manager? What does it mean today to be a sales assistant and be tomorrow a data literate sales assistant? And then develop, you know, models around uh, training, upskilling, also development criteria or recruiting criteria based on also that data lens that you then apply to each and every role in the company. As we look forward and sort of close out the conversation, I'd love to ask you about sort of your challenges today. You've been in a variety of different roles. You've seen sort of, you know, best in class implementations. And, you know, obviously you've also seen your fair share of challenging journeys and failures. What are the big problems that you'd like to see solved today? And where do you think the biggest opportunities exist now with data over the next two to five years? The biggest challenge is uh, to reduce losses in translations when we talk about what we can do with data because there are still two worlds that need to come together every time that we try to do something big with data, and are the worlds of technical practitioners of the data that think about data from a technology system implementation perspective, and then the world of business leaders or of, uh, let's say, knowledge professional that think about data from a data content standpoint. We do not have yet a silver bullet or a perfect recipe on how to have these two worlds within every organization to talk to each other and understand that data is a common denominator across. So I still see that across many companies, we still have this dichotomy, this famous dichotomy of business versus IT, which when you think about a data journey and how you, you, you make data omnipresent across the organization is a big barrier because as long as a company still thinks in terms of IT organizations and business organization, tech team and business team, uh, there is somehow a normal divide that gets on the way of creating value end-to-end with data. When I think about the top opportunities that we have for the industry, it's really about getting to a state where by having company proficient on how to work with data, which means as well having companies proficient on how to make data a currency through which they build partnership with each other. We land to a new business landscape or a new, I would say, societal landscape where different actors can join forces around specific problems in a much more seamless way. 
because if data then becomes the new currency of how partnerships are made across companies, if you can unlock that currency in an natural way, like today we unlock, for example, financial currencies, right? If I want to partner with you and have a transaction with you, we do that instantly once we have decided why we want to do it and that is the right thing to do it. For me, the opportunity is to get to a place where we have a critical mass of companies and actors in society where this is possible also with data, not only with financial assets, because then it's where we become a way more resilient society because we can get together and organize around specific challenges and then tackle them more uh, real time. Yeah, that's pretty aspirational and I couldn't agree more. I think the ability to be able to take pragmatic solutions to problems centers around scientific thinking and thinking with data. So couldn't agree more. Francesco, this has been awesome as I expected and forecasted and predicted. Uh, So thank you for taking the time and it was wonderful to have you on the show. Big thanks, Satya. It was a great pleasure. Fair data is powerful and it raises a question. What if all data was findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable? Think of the combinations you could create, the connections you could draw, and the insights you could glean. You'd be able to move fast. Consider Francesco's story about working at Nestle during the pandemic. Time was of the essence. There were many teams they could partner with to address their supply chain problems. But ultimately, they chose to work with companies who used fair data. The reason was simple. Fair data was the fastest, most efficient way to establish and share data across organizations. So it doesn't matter if you're a startup or an enterprise. Fair data empowers your team to glean new insights from data. I'd say that's pretty radical. This is Satyan Sangani, CEO and co-founder of Alation. Thank you, Francesco, for joining us. And thank you for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Alation. Are you a CDO or aspiring leader in data? Learn how you can cultivate a data-driven organization in this white paper from Gardner. Get it at alation.com slash GDC. That's alation with an A dot com slash GDC.